Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is episode number 80. So, Ben, we have follow-up feedback, or a question. We have a question. Yes, Mr. Jelly. <laughs> I stole Russell's intro. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, good. So, we got an email from Patrick Fuentes. That sounded good. That sounded good? Yeah. Yeah, it, it might not have the uh, the S on the end. Maybe it's just Fuente. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes they have like these silent... Yeah. Sorry if I if I messed it up. I'm sorry for saying that sounded good if it was completely wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have sure. no idea. So the question that uh, that Patrick has, I can say Patrick because that's that's my dad's name. I mm. yeah, mm. confident in that one. Yeah, I'm confident <laughs> in that one. Uh, so Patrick's question is about full screen images as like backgrounds in yeah iOS apps. Um, basically, in a past episode, he says we mentioned that full screen images. Are kind of bad and wanted to know kind of what development challenges you run into with with that sort of thing yeah cool so i think i mentioned that it's probably not as much of a problem as it used to be yeah so back in the day especially when we were developing for universal so ios and i mean sorry iphone and ipad all your resources are together in that bundle right so yeah and the iphone got- 3gs user is getting ipad retina yeah graphics in his bundle or her bundle. And so the, the bundle size is just huge because an iPad 3's full screen background image is something like two and a half meg. Yeah. It's massive. And so you start thinking about things like, well, what if we try and save that file space by just having one really big one? Like we'll target the biggest device and we'll scale it down for all the other ones, which in theory sounds like a good idea. You're like, yeah, that'll save us heaps of bundle space. The problem is an iPad 3's or iPad Retina's full screen background image can't even be loaded by an iPad 1. There's just not enough memory for that. Huh, yeah, good point. So I admit, no one's developing for iPad 1 these days. And the same thing was true about going from an iPhone 5, I think it was a 5, to an iPhone 3GS. Like, mm. you just can't do that. Yep. Like, so when you load an image, a few things happen, right? So you've got this PNIG or JPEG, most likely. You're, I, I'm PNIG. guessing. You, Hang on, let's just focus on that for a second. You call it a pinning? I know it's not actually pronounced like that. <laughs> it's not like some like misconception in my head. I just think it's easier to say. Yeah, right, I say PNG. Yeah. Like Papua it's New too, Guinea. It's too official. I just like pinning. <laughs> right, right, fair enough. Or you've got your GIF and... No, I'm kidding. Just threw that one in there. Yeah, I just, I'm just not going to comment on that one. I don't know that file, that, that file type. What's that file type? <laughs> I invented it. Oh, uh, right. Anyway, so you've got your most likely compressed image file, right? Yep. Because if you didn't compress it, it wouldn't be just two and a half meg. It'd probably be 50 meg or yep. something like that. Something's got to uncompress that in order to like get pixel one is red, pixel two is blue, whatever. So you go through this process of you have to load the compressed file into RAM. You then have to uncompress it and you can't just like, I'm sure there are fancy things you can do, but basically now you've got the compressed file in RAM, the uncompressed file in RAM, and then you have to convert that to a texture for graphics memory, which is another format again. Yep. And so you've basically got three times the original image in your memory, which is why it just dies on old devices. So there's that. And then if you're targeting Android, there's no way you can pick. This is the real problem these days. If you're on Android, there is no way you can pick what your largest device is or even the ratio of devices, right? Right. Like it could be anything, yeah. anything at all. Yeah. 
And so it's just a pointless endeavor to try and use a full screen image because it's never going to look good everywhere. Yeah. You may as well go with a patterned image or some sort of blurred image, like some low resolution image that looks good blurred. That works. That's yeah. a good solution. Yep. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. As a general rule, I feel, I feel like we've kind of gone past the, uh, the use of background images as a, as a thing um, for most apps anyway. I agree. The one caveat to that is we seem to be moving into the world now of background videos. Background videos? All the like yeah. big names are doing it on their login screen. Yeah, I suppose there's that. That brings up more problems. Yeah. Yeah, I, which, <laughs> totally. which I ran into not, not long ago because I put a, a video into the About screen for yep. the app that I'm releasing shortly. It's an animation, so it was, you know, it's... It was fairly small, so I could make it just the full size of the that's required for the iPhone six plus six mm-hmm. s plus i guess uh which is really big like that's enormous it's around i want to say twelve hundred pixels wide yeah I it's think, huge r- roughly I forget the exact number uh and so you know combining that and the height of the thing because it was roughly as hot tall as the screen, it was an enormous video or rather. Like pixel size, it was yeah, enormous because yeah, yeah. I, I I compressed it down, so it was like I think it was less than a meg, which quite impressive, I think. Mm. But uh, I I found out after doing some you know some testing that the video didn't play on older devices. Most of the ones that have uh, like smaller screens, like the four inch screens. Okay, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it's got something to do with like it can't, like they can't load a video of that size into like the yeah. into memory because they're Could just totally be it. It's like, way, it's way beyond their their capacity, and so they just fail. And yeah. so the, there was no video there. At least they don't crash. Like they've gracefully handled that situation. So it has to ship with two video sizes. One is that original giant version, which plays fine on pretty much any device that doesn't have a four inch screen or less and then there's one for the four inch and three and a half inch screens which conveniently are both the same width so it you know they they don't have to scale it at all yeah which is nice but it's kind of a pain oh yeah bitmaps are like the bane of any android developer's life they're just so annoying to handle and there's a million libraries that try and make it easier but in the end, you're still dealing with like very limited amounts of RAM and bitmaps just take up the whole thing. Yeah. From a usability perspective, like having that stuff in the background can be problematic. So, I mean, this, this question was in regards to trying to convince higher-ups or clients or some, yeah. you know, somebody in that kind of space why it is a bad idea. And that kind of space, I've found that a lot of the times they can be really the the video the images that they want to use whatever they want to use tends to be like branding related yeah I've seen ones I've 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 worked on apps where they're like we must have a version of the logo that's in the background and it's gigantic and it's whatever but we can blur it out don't worry we can just blur it so that just people get this kind of hint yeah. of we're in the app and it doesn't work out really very well like it tends to be kind of like it tends to draw your attention away from the content which is kind of what you're using the app for so i mean it's kind of bad on that front if you're not being very careful about what you're actually putting in the background i mean there's plenty of tricks you can do like if you look at the photo and the one i've done before is kind of like i guess a a cityscape from up on a hill so what i ended up doing was cropping the city down to like just the city bit and then kind of like 
blending the sky into a solid color. Mm. And so then you've just got the city at the bottom and there's like this yeah. gradient that comes yeah. into a sky that's not actually in the image. It's just the background color of the view. Yep. So you do stuff like that. Or you might see that the background image is a logo with a fancy pattern in the background, like it's the logo sitting on top of a patterned image. Yep. So take the pattern out and put the logo on top. Don't just bake it into one image. Well, the other thing that I've done in that area is rather than creating an image and just using an image, Mm -hmm. I I steal a a page out of Apple's book with the launch screen Yeah, yeah. uh, and use a view. So I set up a zib with a view that's set up to, you know, render it the way that I want. And then I can basically take a snapshot of that view in the correct size and render it as an image and then just pop it in the thing or even use it as a view if I if I really want to. Mm. But either way, it means that I've got one kind of rendered version. Like it ships with nothing and that version is is rendered as required for the correct size of the device. Not that that's a huge deal anymore because more recently, last year, we got app setting with like yeah. assets that ship you know specific to that device um so if you set them up correctly you'll 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 get that just kind of for free yeah but yeah there's there's a few reasons that there's a few reasons why you, you shouldn't use background images and ways to kind of get around it if you have to mm, definitely so you have a topic for us i do i'm going to tackle this week model view controller which is like the thing that I think everyone uses and no one understands completely, yeah, including myself. Completely, Rip. No uh, denying that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, because the thing about Model View Controller is it's really old. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have learned it in slightly different ways. So just like you were just saying just before we recorded, Wikipedia defines it differently to Apple. Hmm. So there you go. So I've based mine off the Apple's definition. Yep. But just be aware. There's like subtle differences in everyone's And we'll link to Apple's it. definition in the show notes. Yeah, I've even got the link yeah. all ready to go. But so some people out there might be now going, what the hell is Model View Controller? Like if this is your first time hearing about it, yeah, that could totally be a thing. So it could totally be a thing. People have seen view controllers. Yes. And they've seen views because you use them all the time when you're developing, yeah. especially in iOS because you're always dealing with like UI view controller. And yeah, but you might views. not know what they, I guess, actually Yeah, but you are. might not know what they do. So model view controller is a type of application architecture, mm-hmm. which is basically a strategy for laying out your code, like how your code comes together as a full unit. Yep. I've actually got the Apple definition Ooh. of model view controller. Ooh. So it is a high level pattern in that it concerns itself with the global architecture of an application and classifies objects according to the general roles they play in an application. It is also a compound pattern in that it comprises several more elemental patterns. And there you go. That's the episode done. Yeah, cool. That sort okay. of explains everything, right? So thanks for listening. And <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I think we might need to go a little bit deeper than that because I don't necessarily know that I really fully understand it yet. So neither. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. Good. Well, I'm not, so glad that we're doing this episode. Not from that statement, anyway. A bit of history before we get started. Okay. You know. Yeah. It's nice to know where things come from. Model View Controller was actually developed by Xerox for Smalltalk. So Everything back when, was developed by Xerox. Exactly. Yeah. So back when they were like inventing graphical user interfaces, yeah. hence views, they were like, hmm, this is new. We kind of need something like a strategy to lay this stuff out. Yep. And I think like everything Xerox invented, Apple claimed. Yep. Makes sense. Declared it their own. Yep. <laughs> and it exploded in popularity with web objects. So it was like the way you did web objects, apps, right. yep. which then went into the way you made Cocoa apps. So Cocoa... Basically, 
forces you into mode of view controller most of the time. In order to use the Coco APIs, a lot of them are going to assume you are a, a view or a controller. Well, I mean, and and obviously, like UIKit is kind of designed around the whole concept, definitely uh, of of a model view controller. Because, like we said before, you've got view controllers and uh, and views, and uh, obviously, there's like you know, model stuff with core data and all that sort of stuff. So it makes sense. Yeah. So I think another thing is where they're like difference between i guess apple's definition and wikipedia's definition yep is some people would call what apple calls model view controller they would call it model view view controller yeah okay which is kind of what you'd expect i guess yeah anyway that's all like semantics and doesn't really matter so let's get into it okay model view controller basically separates your classes that make up your whole app into three types mm-hmm. models mm-hmm. views and controllers. Surprise, surprise. I'm surprised. I would never have guessed that there was those three things specifically. I know. Yeah. I know. That blew my mind. Yep. Anyway, we'll start with the what I consider the easiest one, although all of them have subtleties that aren't so easy. Right. But we'll start with the model. Okay. So model objects hold your application's data in hopefully a strongly typed way. Yep. So if you're making, say, an address book, yep. you would have a person object, right? Yep. That person is a model object. So it yep. might have properties such as name, date of birth, phone number, because we're an address book, right? Yep. Right. Here's address. another str- address. <laughs> Man, you're onto the you're on the ball this yeah. morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, in my head I was like, no one needs addresses anymore. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's a I guess one subtle trick. Oh, there's many subtle tricks, but there's one thing with model objects as well. Not all of those properties have to be stored some of them can be computed i guess right so when you're designing your model objects you might think about it's convenient to have a name property right yep but you might in the future want to search for all people with the first name of jelly yep and for that reason you might decide to split out into two properties first name and last name and then have a computed property which is just a property it's almost like a fake property there's no variable backing it it's like when you call it it does some sort of function to return a value. Yep. And so in this case, it would be, we're going to add the first and the last name together and return it. In some cultures, yes. Very good. <laughs> you could totally be right there. No, <laughs> there you go. We've the, already hit complexity. There is a whole class dedicated to formatting names for the contacts. There is. Well framework. done. Mm. Mm. We're not going to concern ourselves <laughs> with that level of complexity yet. <laughs> but that just shows you, right? Yeah. There's like traps everywhere. The, yeah. I guess you could say the same thing about if you wanted to search for all people with a birthday in August. You're going to want to have split out your day, month, and year of the date of birth. Yeah, or like all people of a certain age, which you're going to need to yeah, calculate you're gonna need based the year, on. Yeah, right? Yeah, but well, and yeah. So then you'd have to watch out with your computed property. Yeah. If you return... See, in this case, you'd probably return it in a state to handle all this for you. Mm. But say you were returning a string of the birthday, mm-hmm. you got to watch out for that month and day switch. Yep. Anyway, so that's a model. Cool. Cool? Yep. I know that was like very basic overview, but we'll try and get into some more depth later. Mm-hmm. Then we've got views. Views, I guess, are, is the second easiest. So a view literally just displays data on the screen. Yeah. Right? Yep. So you might have a label. A label is a view that displays a string on the screen Mm -hmm. of your device. That's pretty easy, really. Yeah. Um, The other part that the view does is allows the user to edit the data. Okay. So you might have a, rather than a label, a text field. So it can start off with a value and the user can change that value. 
But here's the trick, Jelly. Here's the trick. The view is not responsible for updating the data in your model object. So if the user changes, like if we've got a view that has yep. the first name. Yeah, the first name. Then that view doesn't then go to the model and say, hey, I've got a new first name for you. No, at least not in the Apple definition. Okay. Like you totally could do that. Yeah. And if you architected it properly, it would work. Yep. But here's where the last one comes in. The hardest one is controllers. Yep. So controllers manage this in-between layer between your model, which is your data, and your view, which displays your data. Okay. So the view would say, hey, Mr. Controller Man, I've got some updated data in this field, right? Yep. yep. The view technically doesn't even know what the model was. Like, it just has a value. Yep. And so the controller knows, ah, I know that that text field is the first name. I'm going to go and talk to the model and say, update the first name. Yep. And so that's how it all sort of comes together. Controller lives in the middle between view and model. Yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense at this level. But here's what happens. If your app gets any bigger than basically a demo app, Hmm. that controller layer in the middle starts to get very fat. It does, yes. And so the other trick, which I think, especially myself, when I was first starting, didn't understand, you can have more than one controller. I mean, obviously, you can have more than one view controller, but you can also have more than one layers in your middle controller section. Right. So you might put in another controller for, I normally call it data controller, that manages the actual persistence of your model. So your view controller which is talking to the view. The view says, hey, I've updated this field. The view controller goes, cool, I know that's the first name. I'm going to talk to my data controller to say this first name was updated. And then the data controller goes and updates the model. That makes sense. So you've got another layer in there. And that's, I think, a big trick that a lot of people miss. You don't have yeah. to do everything in the view controller. Right. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Because and, and the thing is, is that the way that it's presented when you first start doing iOS development, it can be very tempting. I guess it, it might even be that it, it's kind of like what you feel like you should be doing is mm. like sticking everything in that in that one class and that one class just uh, does everything. And that's I think that's what people run into a lot with like table view controllers. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the, the, the given one because you've got uh, the UI table view controller is pre-set up as your table views data, data source and delegate. And those two protocols add a lot of weight to your yeah, view controller. Definitely. And also they're like actually quite separate, which is why they exist as two different yeah. things. So one of them is concerned with the actual presentation of the data and the other one is concerned with getting the data. Yep. So we just threw out the term view controller there yep. because that tends to be what you use on iOS. But that name actually comes from somewhere. So a view controller is a controller that lives on the boundary between the view layer and the controller layer. And so I mentioned a data controller, right? Yep. Data controller is technically a model controller because it lives on the boundary uh... between the model layer and the controller layer. Right. And so what a lot of people run into with these fat view controllers is they've actually created a controller that spans the full width. Right. So it lives on the model to controller layer and also lives on the controller to view layer. Right. Or transition boundary, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And that's what you're trying to avoid. So when you're designing these things, you're following the single responsibility principle. Yeah. Which is a term that's always thrown around. And it's like so much easier to say than to actually do. Right. But it means every class should just have one job, one single responsibility. Which is kind of how classes are designed, really. 
Totally. Like that's the whole point of object-oriented programming. Yes. The problem is, especially for beginners, Apple's really bad at that. Yeah. Like really bad. If you look at the app delegate, that thing has so many responsibilities, which is why beginner apps always end up with this app delegate that is just a monster. And it's it's not their fault. Like they've just basically filled in the fields that Apple gave to them because there's so many in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's it can be really difficult to know how to like how to like delegate out that response like those yeah. responsibilities because you want if you want your app delegate to be small you start to kind of uh, use things like you have a review, uh, like a, a view controller and then that view controller takes care of the rest of your app or you might have a storyboard yeah. and that takes care of the rest of your app and then your app delegate doesn't necessarily know about all the bits in like all the other bits in the thing and so when you get for instance the like responding to a, a URL scheme or an open URL request or the application shortcuts, the new 3D touch things. Yeah. How do you pass that information on to a view that's like way down the chain? Like you have to write this massive method to figure out how to... And so it just becomes this kind of monstrous thing and it becomes more and more monstrous as like fail to like properly delegate out those responsibilities. Yeah. And again, UIKit actually makes it quite hard and Apple, I think, have realized that. So for the longest time, you basically had to know like in a view controller, you had to know that that view controller was in a navigation controller. It was the only way to move around, right? Right. Which is the wrong way around. A view controller shouldn't care what kind of parent view controller it's in. Um, and they've, so they're slowly trying to fix that with present view controller and things like that, but it's still not the best. So that's why it's hard to get right. Just while we're talking about app delegate, there is actually a library that you can use or yeah. cannibalize. That there's, will there's fix quite a few. will fix that problem. Um, will I know of at least one that I'll sh- I'll link in the show notes. And the idea is that it just basically it delegates all of the tasks out to, to their individual kind of delegates. Yeah, you, you can, kind of have at least the one I understand. You have I guess app delegate subclasses, and you use composition to bring them all together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've kind of learned about each individual layer. Again, yep. it's model view and controller. You also have to think about how you connect them all up, right? Right. So the trick is what you're trying to do is a view should never know about a model and a model should never know about a view yeah. at all. Okay. Like at the top of your file, if you're in Objective-C, you've got importing headers or whatever. And in Swift, I guess you could, if you'd split them into frameworks, you would never say like import my view layer at the top of your model. Yeah. So that's what you're trying to avoid. If yep. you've If you've gone and done that, you've probably made a mistake. So a model isn't concerned with how it's presented at all. So for instance, you would never have a property on our person object that was a formatter string for an NS date formatter, right? Yep. That would be the view's job to show actually show the date. The person object wouldn't care about that stuff. Yep. There can be exceptions to that, just like everything in programming. So... Apple give an example where if you were creating a drawing app, it would actually be quite convenient for every, I guess, shape. Say you had a whole pile of shape model objects, like a square, a circle, a triangle. Mm-hmm. It'd be convenient for each shape object to know how to draw itself rather than baking in the logic to the view for how to draw a square or a circle or a shape. Yeah, because eventually then, because with that, you would end up with like a, if it's this kind of object, then draw it this way. And if it's this kind of object, draw it that way. So to handle that case, though, you would try and keep 
the dependencies as low as possible. So instead of passing in, say, a view to be drawn onto to your model object, you would pass in just a CG context. Or maybe the model object can return a path. Right. So it can just return a path that can then be drawn by the view. Yeah. So you try and keep it as small as possible. Yeah, so then that way the your shape object, like it, it doesn't necessarily care about what width the stroke is or what yeah, color, what color it is, it or is or what fill is that's being right. used and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what you're aiming for. And then your controller in the middle kind of has to know about both. It kind of lives at the top. Right. So that's the basic idea. The other thing is you have to still work out how to actually link them together. So it's all well and good for the model to live in a silo and the view to live in a silo and the controller to be in the middle. They're going to have to talk at some point as well, right? Yep. So Apple uses a mixture of a whole pile of patterns, but basically you've got delegation and notifications. So your model can notify. It doesn't have to be through NS Notification Center. However you want, you can use an observer pattern. Yep. Your model notifies your controller that something has changed. Then your controller goes, oh, okay, I that's relevant to me. I will get the model and pass it to the view. Right. Actually, sorry. We don't pass the actual model object to the view. There's many ways to do it. But this is like, the. it seems really convenient just to pass your model straight into your view. And I totally used to do that. But technically, that's wrong. Because now your view depends on the model. particular model, yep. So you can, the way I've started doing it is I guess I've moved closer to what's called view model. Yep. Model view, view model, where you have another model object for your view, basically. So your view knows how to draw this type of object that lives inside that view. And so you can create a view object or view model object with a model object in your controller to pass in. That makes sense. So let me let me see if I can repeat it back to you rephrased. So what you're saying is is that a lot of people they use uh, so their views. Let's say you have a view that you use to render a GIF cool. <laughs> in in a collection view, yeah. right? And you have on your model side you have an item which is like, you know, it rep- rep- represents the, you know, the GIF image and it might have information like the name and how big it is and all that sort of information. Obviously, a, a, a path to the to the actual file. A lot of people would pass that item into that view. Because yeah. Why wouldn't that view be designed to just handle that item like that? Sure. Why not? Except that what happens is you get uh, if you end up with some other kind of item that you want to be able to represent in that view yeah uh, a different kind of model object let's say you have a specific class for i don't know representing a contact image in the same yep. application i don't know why you would be doing that maybe you got a special app for just messaging gifts back and forth yeah so what you end up doing is you have to then like duplicate that view and just have like yeah. a special thing and so rather than doing that what you do is you actually create you know you have your view your set your your view for this for the cell and then you have view models which then take that model object and turn it and pass it like the relevant information onto the view. Yes. yes. So so our view, we've got a view that displays an image from a URL and a title for that image. And our model object for GIFs stored in our cool GIF app has a whole pile of other properties we're not concerned with. So it's got the ones we do need, the URL and the title, but say it's also got date last modified, I don't know, length of GIF. Yep whole pile of other irrelevant stuff. Sure. So 
two reasons here that we don't want to pass that all in. The view is not concerned with most of that, so why should it need to know about it? Yep. And the other thing is, having a view that presents an image and a title sounds very useful. Yeah. Highly likely to want to use that again in my app. Sure. But not with GIF models. Like you said, it could be for a contact. Yeah. So my view has inside it an object that just has two properties, image URL and title. So when I create this view or update its data, I pass in this object. And that does two things. It clearly defines what is required to make this view work. Yep. So if you're in Swift, all your optionals are just gone. Yep. Because there's no way to update this view without passing in everything that's required. Sure. And two, it means it's reusable and it's not looking at stuff that it has no concern about. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. The other thing is it's nice to hide what the view actually does with the data from the controller. So a really common one is table view cells. You have your table view cell, which has a whole pile of, let's say you did an interface builder as well, IB outlets. I don't think, and this is an opinionated opinion, (laughs) I don't think the view controller has any business looking at those outlets. You shouldn't say cell.textlabel.text equals whatever. It should be, here's what I want you to present, Go and present it. Yeah. I mean, that's all very well and good if you're using storyboards and setting up uh you know, setting up your your cells that way. It becomes a lot more difficult if you are trying to do it programmatically. No, you've just got your initialized view method. Yeah, you would think that it works it might work that way. It does it doesn't necessarily that some of that stuff can be really difficult to get in place. Cause even if you're using like for instance UI appearance, which is useful but not complete in many ways there are certain things that you can't change the style of just uh yep. you know by as a default so you either have to set up all of your you know your various uh cell classes throughout your thing uh your application to format and color you know, apply the right color and stuff like that in in certain cases uh or you have to get your view controller to do it which yeah. is sometimes a lot easier um because if you've got a bunch of different cell types in the same table view and they've all got like the same text color. It might yeah, be a lot easier. So I totally see that. And it's probably because, again, there's exceptions to everything. Yeah. And UI appearance for convenience kind of breaks all the rules, which is why it didn't work in Swift at first. Yep. Because it does like a whole pile of magic basically to make that work, to find all the classes that are UI labels or whatever and set them all to red. I don't even know if you can do that. But you know what I mean? Like it's using. It's using trickery to get that done without having to touch all your files. Yeah, it's just, it's just one of those kind of gotchas, and it, yeah, it as a as a perfect example of this. I very rarely override the UI table view cell class if I can help it. Okay, unless I'm like presenting more information than what I can use. Let's say like because I I mean for instance I use them in my like settings panels all the time, yeah. and they are more or less just plain old table view cells. I don't I don't customize yeah. them in any way. And so I can either subclass the UI table view cell class to make adjustments to like the t- the text color because I have a tendency to like to color the ones that like make the color of the text mm-hmm. like the highlight color when it's ta- when you can tap it and to do that I'd either have to uh subclass UI table view cell and then use that subclass in all of my uh, you know, views yep. as as my cell, or or I can just you know do it in my table view controller and yeah. See, we definitely take yeah. different strategies there. Yeah, I almost always subclass, even if I'm am using plain 
not always. So if it's just like a really basic dummy app, I don't bother. Yeah. But if I'm, I know this is an app for the future, like it's going to be big, I will just <laughs> subclass it. All of your apps are big. Ben. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I do all this stuff at work, and then when I work on side projects, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to get this done. I don't follow any of my own advice. Anyway, I, c- I will still subclass it most of the time and just yeah, okay. use the That's pre-made labels. Like, I don't actually go and add my own labels. Mm. I use plain or And so you, just, like, you just apply the, the yeah. value? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, that's not how I do it. but Just because I like to get anything out of my view controller that I can. Yeah. Sometimes to... The detriment, like sometimes I realize, mm, took that one too far. You know, you always got to make mistakes, especially with application architecture, which is where refactoring comes in. Don't be scared to refactor. Gosh, gosh, I wish that just UI appearance was a lot more useful in this respect. Yeah. yeah. So you're totally right about, I can see an example where this would get way harder. And it's what you do in a lot of your apps where you allow for, say, a theme. Yeah. So you can switch the color of everything. Yep. And in a way, that is, that's a model object. You're, you've now got a theme model and that theme has to be applied. Yeah. And so, yeah, you have to work out a way to manage that. And I can totally see why you've ended up at the solution you have. Cause I actually don't do that much. Most of the time, I can't even think of a time I've ever done it. I did do a night and day mode once. I can't remember how I solved it because that was so long ago. But anyway, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like my views are pretty much set in their design. The mm. colors don't change. Yeah. Or if they do change, they change in respect to the data that's being presented rather than a setting to change the color. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So we briefly mentioned how the layers talk to each other. Let's maybe give some concrete examples. Okay. So we've got our view controller and we've got our views and our view is a text view. Yep. So it can be edited. Okay. Yep. Sure. And we're going to present, like we said before, the first name. Yep. So, so it's, yeah. So it's it's essentially a text field for editing the first name. Yes. Yeah. So let's start from the start. So our controller gets the view, whatever, wherever you want to do it. View will load and pulls in the model data yep. for our person. Yep. This is our address book app. Pulls in the model data for our person and then goes and passes the relevant thing to the view that displays first name, yep. which in our case is just a text field. Nothing fancy. So it does that just like straight through our property. Nothing complicated there. It's a strong reference straight across. Then what happens is the user of the app edits that name. Yep. That view now needs to tell the view controller, hey, I changed. I'm not what you think I am anymore. Sure. Right? Yep. But our view doesn't know about the controller because that would be backwards, like what we were saying before. Yep. The views kind of just know how to present data and they know how to start yelling and say, hey, I've changed. But they don't know where they're yelling. <laughs> they're just like yelling into the void. Yep. So there's a whole pile of patterns to handle that situation. And you can choose whichever one you want. Like they all work. So we've got delegates. Yep. So delegation is a pattern where we assign an object to the view to say, hey, I am your the messenger you talk to when you something happens. And they have a set list of things they understand. Yep. And one of them is let's say my value has changed i think it's like text field did change or something is the method yeah, yeah. so this is another abstraction in ui kit there's like the ui control methods and they use so inconsistently so there's value change which you would think would be the one you need yep but that's not the one that's called on text field yeah for some it has crazy its own reason special yeah 
Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. Anyway, there will be a method that is called when the text field changes right. that you can subscribe to with yep. your delegate. So yep. when the text field changes, it will fire this method to say, hey, I've changed. And you can provide an object to handle that message. Be it your controller, which it probably is to keep it easy, or if that's gotten really big, you might have something in between that manages that relationship. I don't know. Like, that's the point of it. It doesn't have to be a controller. Yeah. It can be whatever you want. So that's delegation. There's also notifications, which probably wouldn't be very good in this case at all. But you could fire a notification to say, from your view to say, hey, I've changed. And then whoever's listening could receive that notification. Problem being there, there probably should only be one thing responsible for a text field changing. Yep. But the pattern's there but, if you want it. But there are definitely situations where a notification can be useful because a lot of things need to know that yes. something is changing. So you might, you've got a window, the entire window, like all of your views are in it, right? Mm. The window might be going away. Yep. That could be a good notification and um, that exists. <laughs> and so, I mean, one one of the ones that I use, you mentioned theming before. One, I, I think I use a notification in that situation to say, hey, the theme is the different theme now. The has changed. Uh, you, you should update. update. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So that, if we're going to stick to MVC, would be a notification from the model layer. Yeah. And controllers should subscribe to that and update their views. Right. So then what, so essentially what happens is your model provides the first name to the view controller, which, which sets the value of the text field. Yes. And then the user edits the text field to give it a different name. Uh, which then responds to its delegate, which may or may not be the view controller, but probably is to keep probably it is, and its delegate will then essentially go and update the model via. It might it has to go via a controller, yeah, via via a data controller or or, or, or via like in in some method. It will it will go yeah. back to the model, and uh, thus the loop continues, and then the loop <laughs> continues, and so uh, yeah, so then because the model could now fire a notification to say. Hey, the first name changed. Yep. And then so then... Something will, else could be displaying the first name. It could then go and yeah. update. So and it can also then pull your view controller that we, that originally pulled it into the text field might might re- yeah. rep- like replicate that process again. Yeah. I mean... It Watch out has, for an infinite loop. Yeah. Don't, don't get an <laughs> infinite loop, but, you know, uh, that, that might happen. Like, that might be a way that you've... Something that you've got set up. Yeah. So another pattern that's used heavily, especially with Apple's views, is the target action. Right. Pattern. Yep. So that's where instead of providing a strong delegate with a clearly defined set of functions, yep. Which is this is why this pattern's actually like slowly going away. You can provide an object and just like say, yeah, just trust me, I conform to, I have this method. <laughs> you know, that's target yeah. action. Yeah. So you say object and the selector to be called when this happens. Yeah. I mean, there are situ- certain situations in which you can't avoid that. Yeah, because a lot of the UI kit controls force you to do that. Yeah, and to and and notification center does. Yeah, timers do. G- gladly, we get we we have us we have the selector object class. I don't know what it is. It's a selector anyway, um, which in Objective C was represented by like at selector, yeah. and then you could write it just the method signature, and it would be like checked by the static analyzer to make sure that that was actually available somewhere because it doesn't necessarily know what object or what class that's in relation to. But then you could have, so with Swift now. Yeah, Swift 2.2. They've they've changed it. So now Swift, what Swift was that you used to just provide a string, which was the method signature. And now it's actually the hash selector. 
Yeah, and it's actually compile time checked rather than. So I, th- if I understand it correctly, the Objective C one was still basically a string underneath. Yeah, and it what it did was just allow an endpoint for a static analyzer to go. Hang on, that's a selector. I should check that that exists. Yep. Whereas the Swift one, the new Swift one, is a full-on proper object that can't be compiled if it's not there. Yeah, okay. Kind of like a linker error. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's, I believe, the difference. And the thing about them is that the thing that differentiates them from the Objective-C one as well Mm -hmm. is that you pass in the class as part of your method signature. So it ends up being like, I don't know, view controller dot bloody bloody blue yes correct <laughs> they can be like the first time you do it because this is like really new as of last week yeah yeah it's um, super new you're gonna have to look it up yeah. i have to look it up. i, I still I just, couldn't do it <laughs> I've, I've been typing them as strings getting the warning <laughs> make doing fix it <laughs> that's pretty good yeah <laughs> um, they do autocomplete as well which is cool yeah and i guess i mean there's heaps of patterns but the one other common pattern that's becoming really common these days is to use closures or blocks. Yeah. So you can have a property on your view called on update. Yeah. And it takes a block to fire or a closure to fire. And that when block it might actually get, updates. Yeah. And that might block might get like the value of the field or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. The one thing to say with when you're going back from your view to your whatever, most likely controller, make sure that's a weak reference or else you're going to end up in a cycle. So your view controller has a strong reference to your view. Make sure your view does not have a strong reference back to your controller or else that's never going away. Right. And it, it's that's kind of, I mean, if you look at some of the delegate patterns that exist, that's kind of how they're mostly set up anyway. Yeah. So when you, if you had a yeah. property for delegate, yep. that's weak. Yeah. That'll be that's weak. kind of like a given these days. Most people know that rule now. The one that gets people is when you're using the closure pattern, you probably want to pass a weak self into that when you set it up. So say we let's say we are using our view controller as the receiver for the did update or on update closure, right? Yep. So when we set up the view, we're going to say view.text equals jelly. This is still our first name text field. And view.onUpdate equals some closure that goes like self.datacontroller.firstname equals whatever the updated value was. Yep. You just created a retain cycle because now your view is retaining self, which is your view controller. So your view controller now retains your view and your view is retaining the closure and that closure is retaining self and self is your view controller. So and there's so, your loop. Yeah. And so then when you dismiss that view controller, yeah, it's uh, just gonna they will still exist. Lost and you're yeah. never going to get it back. It's called abandoned memory. Yeah. So just make self weak. Yep. Normally when you're coming back, there's a there's got to be a week somewhere. If everything's strong, it's most likely not going to work. Yeah. So even um some of the target selector patterns, you have to watch out there because you've got to make sure that they are weak because they have to hold on to their target. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever you pass into that target, you got to watch out for if it's strong because then you're going to have to unregister yourself as a target at some point. So this point. this is a really common gotcha. Yeah. And almost no one knows it with NS timer. Yeah. That timer is never going away. Yeah. So if you create a repeating timer with like self.timer did update as its action. Yep. And you like dismiss your view, you would think the timer would go away with the view. It doesn't. That timer is going to stay there ticking away. Until the end of time itself. Whenever you set up a timer, 
just just while you're in development, chuck a log in your update method. Yep. And make sure it stops updating. Yes, yeah, that, that makes sense. It gets me every time. I hate NS Timer. Like, why isn't that thing weak? But anyway, <laughs> um, I suppose there are situations where you might want it to still be strong. Yeah. So I think it is strong because it makes it easier. And I'm using like bunny ears here. Easier to use, but it's not. It makes it harder. Right. I would prefer the complexity to be on, I guess, my side where I hold on to that timer and make sure whatever it calls still exists yeah. rather than the timer fair, fair doing enough. it. Fair enough. I swear it's backwards. But anyway, that's a common gotcha there. So I think that's it. Like any further technical details are going to be probably too technical. And there's so many articles that you can read about this and follow along. Because I think following along is the key. Yeah. So you can... um. Well, we'll have at least a couple of links in the show notes, I think there was. Uh, which you can go and have a look at. And I mean, there's we've had uh, we've had episodes on some of the stuff that we've covered. Like we talked about, we were just talking about the week, like week referencing stuff. Um, we talked about like uh, in a past episode, like architecting in a way that you only go like up the yeah. tree or down the tree, one direct in one direction. In, yeah, in, in any so case, strong down, weak up. Yeah. <laughs> so we had an episode on that. We'll link to that. And uh, I mean, th- th- there are there are resources around. It's just yeah. So yeah, Google, even though it won't be iOS. Yeah. I just actually saw this this morning have put out a set of example projects. They are Android projects that are all designed in a specific pattern. Yep. So there's one for MVC. There's one for model view presenter. There's one for model view view model. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's other ones that I can't remember. Anyway, so they're, they're throwing out example projects so you can see if you were choosing this pattern, here's how it should be laid out. Mm. Another, actually, one more point. All these M's you hear, like... MVC, MVP, MVVM. Yep. They're all evolutions of the one we just talked about, MVC. Yep. So how I said you can have as many controllers as you want and you define the rules that go between them, the other Ms are basically stricter versions of MVC. So they're like sets of rules on top of MVC for what we've been talking about. So instead of solving this yourself, you You can can look at another pattern that already exists. Yeah, which is like a... I guess a stricter version of MVC because MVC is like very open to, you know, to keep it good for lots of situations, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, well, the Wikipedia um, article that um, had a link to like e- e- explanations about that, the one that I looked up of MVC earlier today, even though it's different to Apple's yeah. definition, some of those stricter versions, like the the definitions of what those are might be helpful for people. So we'll link to that. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of, if you would like to read the show notes or if you'd like to get in touch with us and ask us a question that's not about background images because we've already answered that one. Yeah. uh, You can jump onto our website, which is mobilecouch.co. Now, if you would like to uh, get in touch with us, we're on Twitter. The show is underscore mobilecouch and Ben is Ben Trangrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E and I am Jelly Bean Soup. And that's that's it. That's all of it. Thanks for listening. It's been amazing to talk to you again. Just always is. Just you're you're such a good listener. It's just <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you to our patrons who are amazing, super amazing. They make this show possible to like continue with, which is really cool. And until next time, goodbye. Boom. <laughs>